coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances. We talk about the Secure Act 2.0 proposals. What might be changing when it comes to how you save for retirement? We're going to get into that next. Stick around. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another episode of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, good to see you. Good to see you as well. I realize it's just one day, but we're not having a bloody day in the markets today. That alone feels pretty good to say. That was a win. Yesterday was a market holiday. We had the weekend. Yeah, we had three full days where people didn't have to watch their stocks go down. It was it was a wonderful time. We finished strong on Friday. Today will be good. Hey, things are things are turning around. Just don't zoom out. Just zoom very in. Yeah, don't yeah, don't don't look at the year to date chart. Look at the last like three days. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, well, we hope that that trend continues. I know it has been tough. I know we're joking about it a little bit here, but uh, plenty of people, rightfully so, not happy about how things have been going. But I think our tune hasn't changed on that. So let's talk about a couple different things that are more financial planning oriented today. We've got a question from longtime listener Tyler. Tyler's written into the show before. We appreciate him. He says he left a job over a year ago that offers a 401k. He's now freelance, so for the foreseeable future, he won't have access to a 401k. Would it be a good move to roll over that 401k into a traditional IRA or just let it sit there? Don't worry. I still contribute to an IRA, and when I can, contribute to a Roth as well. Thanks for writing into the show, Tyler. Dan, we've covered this a little bit before. We did kind of a full 401k rollover episode. I'd have to go back and figure out exactly what episode number that was. But what comes to mind when somebody says to you, should I roll over a 401k? Honestly, the first thing that came to mind from Tyler's question was, Tyler, you, my friend, are a self-employed individual now and have access to a whole suite of new retirement plan options should you choose to take advantage of them. So even though you may not have a corporate sponsored 401k, I mean, you could potentially set up your own self-employed 401k or another self-employed retirement plan if you think you're going to be taking advantage of them. So SEP IRA is a a popular one. And understanding how that might play into, you know, where you are from an income perspective and where your goals are, you know, it could be something worth considering. Absolutely. The solo 401k or the individual K as it sometimes gets called is a really powerful account. Um, those are particularly helpful if you are really trying to stuff a bunch of money away. Uh, if your cash flow isn't allowing that yet, a SEP is a great option. Or continuing to do your traditional and Roth IRAs is always helpful, um, depending on how much capital you're willing to contribute. The only other one that comes up uh, from time to time is the simple IRA, which, uh, again, kind of simples and SEPs tend to be a little bit easier on the administration side, a little less expensive where the solo 401k is a little bit more complicated. So uh, unless you want to do a really high contribution, those are normally your kind of easiest choices. Um, But let's address his actual question. There's always an it depends when it comes to 401k rollovers. Uh, 
this is one of the most regulated things for investment advisors. We are constantly getting new guidance and regulations from the Department of Labor on what you have to document and share with people to even conduct one of these transactions. No longer is it even okay for us, by the way, to have simply told somebody this. It now has to be documented in writing is the way that the new rule just came out. Coming from our resident chief compliance officer. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. So this is something that we talk about both internally uh, to make sure we are on the correct side of the law and with clients all the time, which is what are the pros and cons? Really, really simply, the pros are complete flexibility on what you invest in. If you want to be an individual stock investor, if you want to choose your funds that you invest in, whether that be exchange-traded funds, mutual funds, or otherwise, if you even wanted to dabble in some options, which I'm not advocating for, the IRA is going to give you way more choice in what you ultimately invest in. Most 401ks, it's a list of funds, and that's what you choose from. Now, you may have a brokerage option with your 401k that kind of opens that road up a little bit further, but that flexibility is normally the, this is why you want to move out of a 401k option. But there's a number of reasons that you wouldn't want to do that. Dan, I'll let you get into that. Sure. So one is um, from an asset protection standpoint, you might be exposed to more liability in an IRA that varies by state. So it's worth knowing if you think you might be up on those limits. Um, fees. So some people have very attractive 401ks with low internal fees. And if you're looking at moving it to another platform where you might be paying more or paying an advisor, that's something you want to be conscious about as well. The other thing, and this gets a little bit more technical on the what you do specifically, if you're considering doing like backdoor Roth contributions or uh, some sort of Roth conversion, where you've got like some basis or after-tax money, uh, IRAs get treated in aggregate. And so if you do a rollover of a pre-tax 401k, basically all of your IRA money gets considered as one big bundle when you do a Roth conversion. So if you had a, you know, for example, $100,000 401k, and then you had an IRA that was like 50-50 between after-tax money and pre-tax money, when you do that rollover, now you're you're considering a lot more pre-tax money, and it always stays relative. Um, that's harder to describe on on a podcast on exactly why that's a problem. It's a little bit easier with like a whiteboard or, or to be able to sketch that out for people. Um, but if you think that you're going to be doing either backdoor IRA, Roth IRA contributions, or some other version of a Roth conversion then you may want to just leave that money in the 401k wrapper because it's not going to be considered as part of that process. Honestly, that's a category we don't talk a lot about is after-tax IRA contributions. So in the context of backdoor Roths, I feel like they get used a lot, but there are people who make non-deductible, non-Roth IRA contributions and accumulate a basis in their IRA. Do you see that often? I see people ask me about it all the time, and I'm almost always against it. I am not a big fan of the after-tax IRA contribution if you are not going to do a backdoor Roth with it. There's, there's a few reasons I really don't like it. So first of all, from a record-keeping perspective, you as the taxpayer have to keep track of your basis forever. Now, your CPA should be doing this or if you're doing it in TurboTax, but I'm convinced that the number of people that have after-tax money in their IRAs that has not been tracked properly is enormous. And if that's the case, then what's going to happen? Well, when you take a distribution from an IRA, that money is considered taxable. 
That's a problem. From a planning perspective, it's also a problem because every distribution from your IRA is going to be treated pro rata. So if you've got $10,000 of basis and your total IRA value is $100,000, right? That's very simple math. You take a a distribution out and 10% of your distribution is going to be return of basis. Well, now you're, that's, but that's a moving target, right? It's on a percentage amount of going forward of the total value of the IRA versus the dollar amount of the basis. So even knowing what portion of your distribution is taxable is now a nightmare. I mean, I, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I hate them. It sucks. I, yeah, it, it's, it's really bad. I would rather put money into an after-tax brokerage account where the growth is going to be at capital gains rates rather than come out at income rates. I think putting money into a regular brokerage account, unless you're doing some sort of backdoor Roth strategy, I think it's more attractive. Uh, or, or unless, I mean, I guess if you're a super frequent trader, right? Like if, if you're going to be churning the, the heck out of the account and trading constantly, and so that IRA wrapper is going to protect you. But if you're a buy and hold investor or even a long-term minded investor, I think the brokerage account is a better bet than an after-tax IRA. In this day and age where you can do Roth conversions at any point in time, there is no reason to just let it sit there in a quote-unquote pre-tax account when you could just make the contribution, convert it, because your tax impact is going to be the same. Well, that that's true unless you've got big IRAs already. Right, right. If, if you're already in the thick of this mess, yeah. then you're, you're kind of pot committed. And that pro rata distribution thing is the same problem if you're doing Roth conversions where you already have big IRAs out there is all the conversions are going to be pro rata as well. So it's hard to, you know, to complete your mission of moving everything over to a Roth. If you have this huge balance, that's going to be working against you. It's, it, it becomes a mess. It really does. I'm sure somebody's going to write in and tell me that I'm missing some tremendous case for why after tax makes all the sense in the world, but I don't see it. Uh, I think most people lose track of their information pay double taxes on things that they didn't have to and or even if you do it perfectly right it creates complexity that you're not going to be happy with for literally the rest of your life every other distribution you take for the rest of your life from that ira is now tainted by that decision i don't like it i don't like it either let's get into something else now that we're now that we're in full rant mode dan let's talk about the secure act yeah let me go on a mini rant as we, we transition towards that. So the SECURE Act, we talked about it in a previous episode. They're going to revise some of these retirement uh, targets they have in the spirit of, I guess, helping Americans do a better job saving. Uh, there are a couple versions of a bill that are being lumped into this SECURE Act 2.0 thing. There's one that's passed the House. There are a couple versions in the Senate. One of the Senate bills is called the Rise and Shine Bill. And and what that stands for is Retirement Improvement and Savings Enhancement to Supplement Healthy Investments for the Nest Egg. Who is taking the time to do this? We are paying elected officials to come up with ridiculous names. Like that couldn't have been something that just happened by chance. Someone tried to do that. Of course. Why? How? What are they doing? That's what I want to know. What is happening while they're sitting around a table thinking, all right, what are we going to call this sucker? Rise and shine. Okay. Everyone try to come up with the words that can make, like, that That must be what's happening. I mean, you got to hope that it's like a, a team of interns or something that, that is working on it. I mean, if it's, if it's a summer project for interns, I'm okay with it. If you're paying your, like, highest 
powered people to come up with silly acronyms, then it, it's more upsetting. I'm sure it's like some 80 year old dude who's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. They're going to love this. It drives me nuts. It grinds my gears, Ross. It really grinds, grinds your gears. gears. I, f- I feel like we can't exactly steal that, but uh, we can talk about what is being proposed in this act, which I think is relevant. And it's not law yet. So, yes, this is a moving target. None of this is finalized yet. But uh, I do think that there is value in understanding what could be coming and even just talking about the why on some of it. That's where I actually started with this, because one of the things that is being proposed is an additional movement to the required minimum distribution age. It used to be 70 and a half until a couple of years ago. Secure Act first version made it age 72. So in the year that you turn 72, you have to start taking money out of your IRAs uh, effectively as part of that tax year. Now we're going to move it again. So it would move it for this year, 2022, out to 73. Then out in 2029, because we didn't have enough to keep track of, it's going to go to 74. And at 2032 and beyond, the required minimum distribution age, 75. That's going to allow people that have IRAs and have been sheltering money from income taxes to continue to kind of kick the can a little bit further down the road. I'm a little confused as to why. I don't. I, I. I actually. I should have looked this up. What's the average age in Congress? Is are they literally just trying to kick their own RMDs like further down the road? Because this doesn't feel like the biggest problem in the world today. No, and certainly not for the average American who's having trouble saving for retirement. You know, when I think of RMD ages, I think of it more as a punitive thing for people who've saved a ton of money and now are being forced to take money out that they don't need. Right, the average person probably needs the extra income at that age. And it's taking money regardless. So kicking the can to 75, I don't see as a solution for anything. If anything, I mean, it's delaying tax revenue for our government who is, you know, in a in a deficit right now. And I'm sure could benefit from a little bit of, of tax revenue unless they're pressing people to do Roth conversions and front load it. The average age of senators is 62.9 years. <laughs> this al- aligns almost exactly with when they're going to be reaching these ages on how they wrote this bill. Is They're just like trying to get one extra year of keeping Uncle Sam's money in their pocket. This is going to do wonders for our conspiracy theorists out there. Yeah. I, you know, here's the thing. The required minimum distributions, people seem to worry about them. In more of our plans than not, we're talking about accelerating income because what happens for a lot of people, if your goal has been kick this can down the road as long as you can, those required minimum distributions can get very large, especially for people that have saved well. That is actually the bigger problem. So if you're looking at this going, oh, fantastic, I get another year to wait, that's probably the wrong attitude because not only is it going to continue to mean that your required minimum distributions are higher But also, if somebody's inheriting that money that isn't a spouse, in most cases, they have 10 years to completely empty the account. And so if your concern is, well, I didn't want to take the four to four and a half, five percent out that they're going to make me take out, well, your kids and and grandkids are going to be forced to take 10% out a year in all likelihood to actually drain the account over the course of that 10-year window. And again, they have flexibility on when they do that. But I just don't get why we're going to try to keep 
pushing this further and further out when I think most people should be finding ways to get money out in the lower tax bracket years. That's actually what we should be targeting for most people. 100% agree. And and if this passes, and I think it will, it has a lot of bipartisan support. It, it seems like this is a sure thing to pass in some form or another, probably by the end of the year from everything we're hearing. Uh, it opens up another planning window of what to do during those gap years between retirement and what looks like it might be age 75 when you have to start pulling RMDs. I know we've talked about that as well. All right. So that's kind of a, I'm not sure why they're doing that other than maybe that Congress is the exact age that this is going to help them or that they think it's going to help them, even though they should listen to our show and work on accelerating some distributions, possibly. Let me tell you what I do like in this. Mandatory automatic enrollment. That is a fantastic thing for the average American. So that, I do think, is helping a lot of people. Mandatory automatic enrollment. So for companies that establish a defined contribution plan, which is going to be a 401k uh, and all of the kind of comparable plans to that, they will be required to automatically enroll employment uh, new employees into the plan so that they start saving immediately. The number of people that simply never sign up because we're bad at administration, and I'm, I'm bad at it too, right? Uh, we are bad at administration as humans. We've got a lot going on. The fewer things that you have to actively do to save, the better. Automatic enrollment is a net positive. It's also expanding eligibility to a lot of part-time workers who may not have been included in those plans before, which is also great because it encourages savings for people who might otherwise be doing it but aren't able to. Um, on the business side, all of that sounds like a hardship, right? You need to open this up to more people. You need to find ways to enable this automatic enrollment. But they're also expanding credits to small businesses who are starting 401ks, which is great as well, removing some of that barrier. If the biggest problem in your business is that your employees want to save more, then I, I don't feel bad for you. I realize there's like an element of, you know, hurdle that that creates. But if you're going to be in business, you should want your employees to be at least saving in some format. And the more automatic you can make that for them, the better. I think it's important that uh, this type of stuff continues to pass. I, I do like that they're kind of helping out on, on the back end as well. The other thing I like, speaking of Roth IRAs earlier, is they are dramatically expanding Roth contribution options, or at least talking about it. So right now we have the Roth IRA, we have the Roth 401k, but get ready for the Roth SEP and Simple, which might be on the table soon. Woo! I yeah, love man. that. Yeah, I mean, so... For self-employed individuals, right, we were saying earlier that a solo 401k can be expensive or take a lot of paperwork to get set up. But if you could do a Roth SEP and contribute more than a Roth IRA through your self-employment income, I mean, that's a win. That's easy. Well, not only is it easy, but it eliminates some of the stupid things that people that are outside of the earnings brackets do to do Roths in the first place. Right. So you've got these like earnings limitations on Roths, but then you've got no earnings limitation on conversions. And so what you see, and we deal with this all the time, we've talked about it on our show, is you've got all of these goofy ways that you can do an after tax contribution and then convert it. They're clearly willing to allow people that make serious incomes to continue to add money to the Roth bucket. 
why not just make it part of the SEP or simple or you know what whatever it is that people are doing at the business level so that you don't have to jump through all these hoops. I mean that that just removes red tape and uh, creates less audit risk if you're simply going to say, yeah, we approve of doing this transaction this way. You don't have to go through all this craziness to get it done. Right. Allow it or don't allow it. Don't make it difficult for people to to follow the rules. Right. Which is which is how it works right now. Speaking of things that we think are ridiculous, like that 75 RMD age, can we talk about catch-up contributions? And this also, it's funny you brought up the average age of, of our elected officials, but they're talking about increasing catch-up contributions to $10,000, which means once you reach a certain age, you get to put more into your 401k than you could before. Uh, for people ages 62, 63, and 64. <laughs> what, what the hell is that? <laughs> you mean right at the average age of the senators? Yeah, that that was funny. I, I laughed when you said that was the average age, but like That's for hilarious. three years, you have eligibility to do that. What happens at age sixty-five? You just stop. Oh like, my goodness! What are they? What are they talking about? This is in the in the House bill. I think in the Senate they have different ages, but it might also be a three-year window for some reason. So, talk to me about this, Dan. There's a student loan matching proposal in Secure Two Point what are they doing there and and why should we care? Yeah, I'll need to look a little more into that because I didn't read too deep. But my understanding is that for employees who are paying interest on student loans, an employer can match that amount into a retirement plan, which is, I mean, that's a huge benefit, you know. That's a, it's a really great benefit, right? So you're, I believe the saving muscle and the paying, paying down debt muscle are the same. Right. For what sure. you have to do in either case is you have to restrict consumption by enough to either reduce debt or to save money. Right. That is, those are very, very related. People that have been able to reduce their debt in meaningful amounts can typically slide right into saving either at a similar rate or at least a comparable rate because they're already used to living on less. So for anybody that's dealing with debt, and then needs to ultimately become a saver and a net saver in a big way, those are very, very related. This would basically be saying, we're going to give you credit for that paying down debt as if you were saving that money and allow your employer to make a contribution on your behalf. So for folks that can't because they're paying down the debt, and I think especially like really high um I mean, think about like doctor, doctors and residency programs where they may have just incredible amounts of debt, but they're earning some money, but not enough to really save and deal with their loans. Like that's a huge, huge benefit to those types of folks, to, you know, first year attorneys and all, all sorts of stuff. Um, I think that's a, a very, very helpful thing to have access to. And I just reread it, at least in the House bill. It's not interest. It's student loan payments. So that can be principal and interest. So, so it doesn't even have to be your cost. Just anything you're putting towards the debt. Right, which is, I mean, that's incredible. Building, yeah. Talk yeah. about being rewarded for, like you said, savings and, and debt repayment, the same muscle. In, in a bill that seems to do a lot for the 60 and up crowd, it's nice to see something like that for, for students. Or, or mo I guess people that were recently students. Time to Google students student loan debt of elected officials. <laughs> <laughs> you, you think that's for their kids? Kids and grandkids? No, I'm kidding. Who knows? So uh, let's put a pin in it there. I think that's enough to chew on. We've got plenty of rant stuff, uh, probably as this bill continues to develop and things that they are 
as they really finalize what the the real version is that's going to become law, I'm sure we'll have some more to say about it because this is the type of stuff that that matters. It should matter to you because uh, it's going to affect ultimately how you make financial decisions. So uh, we're going to try and keep our finger on the pulse of this and and keep people informed. We're right by DC Ross. We can have our ear right to the street, up against the wall right of the to building. The street. Yeah, we're 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 going to head downtown and eavesdrop in in bars uh, at night. That's that's how we'll we'll get this information. <laughs> uh, that's how I'll justify my nights out. There you so go. Do, doing legislative research. That's it. Yeah, now it's a business expense, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in this week. If you've got questions for us, check your balances at outlook.com is the email address for the show. We'd be happy to send you a check your balances mug for those that haven't received one yet and have questions for us. We appreciate you, and we'll see you next time.